Awesome. So again, last week as we worked through chapter 1, I think it was verses 18 through 32. It followed up the section of, hey, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God to save. That's Romans 1.16. We're like, yes, we love that, that we have been saved by Jesus Christ. We have put our faith in Him. We are justified by faith, it says in Romans 1.17. But then again, 18 through 32, it says, let me tell you what you're saved from. And it was a list that had everything. We, we talked about just generally people rejecting that there's a God. People ignoring the fact that in themselves they've been created. There has to be a creator. Nature screams it at us. Our body, the fact that we exist, the intricacies of man, the moral compass within us scream that there's a God. But when people reject that there's a God, they want to make themselves Lord and do whatever they feel like. And as they do that, they end up walking into all kinds of depravity. We saw things, and it's funny, one of the big things in that section was homosexuality. But another thing in that section was untrust, untrustworthy. <laughs> you might look at that section and say, well, cool, I've never practiced homosexuality, but I bet you've practiced being untrustworthy. <laughs> Have you ever been unmerciful? Have you ever been disobedient to your parents? That was one of the things in there. I think we all can agree that we've been disobedient to our parents at some point, right? It covered the whole gauntlet of sins. The point of chapter 1 was to say the good news is that God has provided a way of salvation through Jesus Christ. And if we reject it, there's just no hope. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6. With that in mind, I think what could happen, I think we might do this. We're Christians that come to church. I see you guys every week. What we tend to do is look at the end of chapter 1. We're like, oh man, I feel bad for those people, huh? All those sick people practicing all those sins. Well, look at what Paul's going to do here in chapter 2. Look at verse 1 through 3. It says, Therefore, or behold, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O oh man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? You see, what Paul starts in this section, why the section break is here. Remember, Paul didn't write number two and start chapter two, right? This is one ongoing letter. It's been broken up for our sake to read it. The reason chapter 2 is broken up because now we're going to talk to the moralist. We talked about the depraved, the depraved people out there committing all kinds of sins, right? Chapter 1. Now it's, you're going to look down on all those people and say, oh man, I don't sin like that, right? <laughs> you may have walked out last week and good man, I remember how bad I used to be and I'm not like that anymore. Praise the Lord for that, but those people are sick and this, that, and the other thing. We have a tendency to do that, right? Can I tell you what our tendency is? We have a system of judgment, in ourselves, that first of all, we have a conscience. We already talked about this. It was put there by God. Amen? Even in our fallen state, it can be messed up, but every man has a conscience that understands generally right and wrong. The Jiminy Cricket, right? This is Pinocchio stuff, right? We know this. There's a what's good, what's bad. Generally speaking, where did that come from? All of us have a set of rules or law or regulation that can identify when someone has sinned, Right? We look at that list in chapter 1, we're like, those are bad things. Well, who said? If you don't even know the Lord, you know, generally speaking, those are bad things, right? Well, the problem is, if we know what's bad, 
that means that there must obviously be something that is good. And if there's something good, it's perfectly holy because we know what to compare unrighteousness to. And see, in this section, he says, you judge others, but you practice the same things. Let me be clear, this section does not mean that you practice the exact same sin in the same exact frequency. What it means is that the law you are using to judge someone, you hold yourself under it as well. And though you may not do the same exact details of that law, you break other parts of that law. Does that make sense? All of us, we know this, right? I'm a lawbreaker when I speed in my car as much as a guy who murders is a lawbreaker. We both broke the law. We understand that there's greater consequences involved, right, in these things. But both of us would be lawbreakers in that sense. What we tend to do is take the worst person we can find, and we go, that's going to be my bar of measurement for if I need to be good or not. <laughs> so I'm going to pick the most depraved, wretched person I've ever heard of or seen on TV or in media, and I'm going to say, that's a sinner. And now I, by comparison, look a lot better, right? The problem is in all this, Paul says, you're judging with this fleshly, it's not a real, true, divine judgment. You're, you're a sinner too. But what this means, according to verse 2, did you see what Paul says here? He says, do we not know that the judgment of God is according to truth? See, we judge people all the time. And let me be clear, I had to hit this one time. Matthew 7, verse 1, right? Judge not, lest you be judged. Everyone in the world happens to know that verse, it turns out, right? Oh, Christian, you're not supposed to judge, right? Here's the reality. Jesus told us to be fruit inspectors. If you abide in me, fruit's going to come out of your life, amen? Through the power of the Spirit. Now, it says in 1 Corinthians, what business do I have to judge those who are on the outside? They're on the outside. Now, in the church, we judge one another in the sense of, man, let's call each other. Iron sharpens iron, right? Let's lead each other to continue to grow. But what we tend to do is we look outside and we go, oh man, look at them. You guys are bad and we want to condemn all day. Jesus said, condemn and you will be condemned. Basically, condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. But we need context to understand when we are in the church, don't ever let someone tell me, hey dude, you're calling my sin out. You can't judge me. That's not correct. <laughs> but we have to understand what we do in our wickedness sometimes is we want to ignore our sin by looking at the sins of others and go, well, I'm not that bad. You guys ever been there? <laughs> this is what our fleshly nature does. But God, God's not fleshly. <laughs> God judges according to truth. It's divine judgment. And see, we can stand here all day and talk about things that why we're right in our judgment, but God's judgment is completely pure and every man is going to have to stand before God someday. We're going to see this. But can I tell you what this reminds me of? Remember when Jesus talked about the Pharisees? It was in Matthew... Uh, let me give you the verse reference. It was actually um, in Matthew 7. He's talking about all of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And remember, he tells the funny story. He says, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they were the kind of people that would see a speck in someone else's eye, right? A little piece of sawdust. And then they'd be like, hey, you got sawdust in your eye. And they'd turn their head and they'd have a giant plank growing out of their head, right? And it's like, dude, deal with the plank in your head before you deal with someone's speck in their eye. But you don't want to deal with this thing. Instead, you want to point out the smallest things in someone else to make you feel better about your plank. <laughs> Think about David. Remember David in 2 Samuel 12, verse 5. David was brought, he had, he had been in sin, right? He had been in sin with Bathsheba. He had killed Uriah. And Nathan comes in. Nathan tells him this story, right? It's a parable. 
says, hey, there's this rich man. He has all these sheep, all these lambs, but then he has company, and he goes to this poor man next door that just has one precious little lamb. He says, give me that lamb. I'm going to take it. I'm going to sacrifice it to kill it for my, my guest. I remember David heard that story from Nathan. He says, oh, that man deserves to die, right? <laughs> Nathan says, you are that man. King David, the man after God's own heart. <laughs> Please, let's not be blind to the way that we can still be even as we're in the Lord. <laughs> Is that scary? I mean, that's something we expect of King Ahab, not King David, right? The reality is we have to keep our account short with the Lord every day and go, man, why am I so worried about their sin? I proclaim the gospel, but I need to deal with the plank in my life, amen? <laughs> There's a reality here. As I judge others in those things, I'm going to be held responsible for that. It says in Psalm 9:8, God shall judge the world in righteousness and he shall administer judgment for the peoples in uprightness. It says in verse 3, that man may think that he can judge these things and do the same and will escape the judgment of God. Again, as we continue in this section, we're going to see that God will have a judgment that comes upon all men. And see, it's, I believe it's in 2 Peter. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some count slackness, but He's long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should repent. Or I'm sorry, that all should repent and that no should perish. That'd be weird if He wanted everyone not to repent. You heard me correct. He wants everyone to repent. Why is God waiting? Why is God not just striking people with lightning bolts? <laughs> because he's patient. He's long-suffering. You know what I am not? I'm not patient. <laughs> I'm not long-suffering. Someone does something wrong, I am judging them. God's not like that. But because of that, people start to go, oh, there's no judgment coming. There's nothing. I don't have to be afraid of any kind of judgment. It says in Ecclesiastes 3.11, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. People go, dude, I haven't been judged so far. I think I'm just fine. You know anyone like that? <laughs> Maybe you used to be that person before you came to the Lord. You said, oh, that's good that that works for you, but I don't need that. I'm doing just fine. Like, I go to church. I, I give blood. I've heard people say these things, right? Like, oh, I donate blood. Dude, I'm a good guy. I'm like, donate blood? That's the most random thing to point to, I feel like. I help old ladies cross the street. I help. I, do, I donate things. These things won't save you in eternity. And the Lord is giving you opportunities every day. Look what it says in verse 4 through 6. It says, Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. And so in this section, what he's saying is every day, the Lord is revealing his kindness towards man. <laughs> Can I tell you the first way is the fact that people wake up with breath in their lungs. <laughs> Life. I didn't make this. This happened. <laughs> Where'd it come from? This is the Lord's. The Lord's goodness to allow man to live. Then every day he does that, he brings the sun up. He takes the sun down. He does it again tomorrow, over and over, even though there's people on this earth that are rejecting and blaspheming his name. He keeps doing it. He, it says his, the, the riches of his goodness, his forbearance and his long-suffering. Do you know what that means? 
the forbearance, the fact that the Lord has already held tight on all the things that you've already done, that you will do, His long-suffering, He sees that you're still going to sin. And what does He do? He pours out kindness upon you. Man, I think as parents, we get a little glimpse of this, right? We love our children. I hope, I mean, Jesus talked about this. Like, if our children ask for an egg, we're not going to give them a scorpion, right? That was the illustration he gave. <laughs> Sounds weird to us in modern times. But the thing is, we want to bless our kids. The reality is, we know this, right? My kids are little. I was thinking about this this morning. I think about the section in Titus and Timothy that talks about a man that's like goes into the office of elder or bishop. They need to have kids that aren't like riotous, basically. I'm like, my kids are seven and nine. God forbid my kids be riotous right now, right? But 17 and 19... That might be different. Some of you guys have grown children in here. Some of you guys have kids that are doing things. You go, man, I wish they weren't doing these things. Let me ask you, does that stop you from praying for them? <laughs> does it stop you from loving them when you have the chance to be with them? You show them your goodness, your kindness. You aren't condemning them. Let me be clear. We hold our kids accountable, amen? Consequences. That's what sin has, right? God says, I'm not just going to let you sin and not have consequences. But between the consequences of your sin and the kindness of God, it should lead you to repent. To say, man, I have sinned. I don't think I'll ever stop. How does this ever stop? The Lord knows these things. He says, come to me. I have a way to save you from your sins. But see, man will say things again. Oh, I haven't been judged yet. I think that's validation that I'm doing just fine. I have friends, I have family members that say things like this. Oh, if God wants to judge me, judge me now, God. Right, they're talking to the ceiling. <laughs> Nothing happens. They're like, see, I'm good. You're just crazy. You're a weird fanatic about Jesus. Like, dude, no. The promise is that the judgment's coming. It's not necessarily right now. Consequences can come now, right? The judgment is coming. God is long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should repent. And see, in verse 5, it says that their impenitent hearts, they continue to get hard. Do you know every time you hear the gospel, you don't receive it, there's a hardening that's taking place. You know this. As you continue to hear it and you're rejecting it, man, you're not promised that tomorrow you're going to be here to hear it again. You need to turn and trust in the Lord today, amen? Today is the day of salvation. But as men continue to harden their heart, did you see what it says in verse 5? It says that those that harden their heart against the truth of the Lord, against repenting and trusting in Jesus, they are treasuring up for themselves wrath in the day of wrath. Have you ever heard someone give you the argument that, man, God's not loving. He keeps, you know, wanting to pour out his wrath on people. He keeps storing up wrath for people. Did you see what this verse said? Who's treasuring up the wrath? Man, we are. Do you know the gospel of God is actually saving us from the wrath of God? Amen. That's incredible to think about. Because we always say, oh, the gospel saves us from our sins. In theory, yes, we understand that. But why? Because our sins deserve the wrath of God. He's the one that pours out the wrath, but he's also the one that gave us a way to escape the wrath in Jesus Christ. The world doesn't want to accept Jesus. They don't want a Lord. They want a Savior. They want to reject who God is. And they say, no, He wants to part His wrath. He's vengeful and mean. God is absolute pure love. <laughs> He's given a way out. But man in his heart says, I don't want to submit to the fact that I'm a sinner and that I need a Savior. But it's the very thing you were created to do. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, I believe it is, says the God of this age, Satan, is the one that's blinding people from accepting this. There's a spiritual battle as we preach this. 
I know because I did this. I grew up in church. I would hear it and I'd be like, that's not for me though. I don't need that. I'm good because I got like group coverage insurance through my parents, right? Like, I don't know. Weird. I thought I inherited Christianity and salvation or something like I was Italian. Like, no, that's not how this works, right? You've you got to make a decision. There's no grandchildren in the kingdom of God. There's only children of God. You've got to make your own decision. Every man has to choose to follow the Lord. And he says in verse 6, though, he says, God will render to each one according to his deeds. And see, we look at that and we're like, wait a minute, I thought I was saved by faith. Why are deeds being called out? There's two reasons. When men don't accept Jesus Christ by faith, they're going to have to stand before the Lord and they're going to have to use their own works and deeds as justification for how they lived and for salvation. And guess what? Those things are filthy rags before the Lord. Isaiah 64, 6. You're going to stand and say, hey, I donated blood though. I help people cross the street. I went to church sometimes. I went to a Christian university. Lord, like, let me in, right? You didn't believe in me. You didn't trust in me. You had no relationship. I, depart from me. I don't know you. Jesus said this is what would be heard. Matthew 25, 41. They would come to him and he would say, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire that was prepared for the devil and his angels. Not prepared for man. But there's a way out of that. Jesus Christ, Amen. And he says, man, everyone is going to come and everyone is going to be judged for what they did. And we say, well, when does this happen for the unbeliever? You can go to the great white throne judgment in Revelation 20. We see that it's opened up. And if their name is not written in the book of life, how do you get in the book of life? Trusting in Jesus Christ. You'll have to stand and give an account for your works. And guess what happens? You don't trust in Jesus. It's departing from the Lord for eternity. A true everlasting hell. Something that the church is moving away from teaching, by the way. Read the Word. The Word promises that there is an eternity that men will either go to be with the Lord for eternity or they will go to suffer for eternity. Men don't like that because they think they need to make excuses for God. <laughs> I don't make excuses for God. We teach His Word. Amen? You know what God did? He didn't make excuses. He made a way. Salvation in Jesus Christ. Put your trust in Jesus this morning. Look at 7 through 11. He explains the results of this coming judgment. It says in verse 7, Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. <laughs> In this section, it says, hey, there's this judgment that's coming. Well, man would say, okay, well, how are we going to be judged by this? We just talked about the deeds, right? There's going to be deeds that are being done by man. And it's interesting because we know as the believer we are going to stand before the, the judgment seat, the Bema seat of Christ, according to 2 Corinthians 5.10. It tells us the believer is going to stand, and that's where the rewards come. And again, it's not a salvation judgment. Our salvation comes through Jesus Christ alone. Amen? But we are responsible to do things under the Lord. It tells us in 1 Corinthians, I believe it's 1 Corinthians 3, that talks about all things will be tested. And whether it's been pure, what were the motives, what were the intentions? But ultimately, in this case, it says those go into everlasting life who by patient continuance were doing good, seeking glory, honor, and immortality. 
Again, we're not saved by our works, but we know this over and over. James tells us in James 2.17, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Jesus said in John 15.5, if you abide in me and I abide in you, the true vine, you will bear fruit. And without him, you can do nothing. But with him, you should be doing something. Amen. <laughs> and as we do this, I love it. It says patient continuance. This isn't a sprint. It's a marathon. <laughs> Continuing day by day to say, Lord, I'm going to trust in the faith that I belong to you, that I am a new creation. We receive the Holy Spirit. It tells us in Ephesians 1, verse 13 and 14, as a guarantee and seal of our faith. What is that Holy Spirit doing in us? We have become the temple of God, according to 1 Corinthians 3.16. We have the Spirit to go out and do these things that match our faith that we profess to have. There should be evidence of what we believe. Amen? So we're not saved because we're doing good works. We're saved because we've trusted in Jesus, but it's going to be evident by those good works, right? Again, Ephesians 2.8 and 9, it tells us, For by grace you have been saved, not through works, right? It's a gift of God and not by works lest anyone should boast. We are saved because of what Jesus did upon his cross and he proved it with his resurrection. But we should respond to that. We should live that out. But there are many, verse 8 and 9 says, who instead of trusting Jesus, what are they doing? They're self-seeking. They don't obey the truth. They, they obey unrighteousness. And because of that, they're going to have consequences in eternity as much as they will for sin on this earth, but more so in eternity. It says they're going to suffer indignation. That means anger. They're going to suffer wrath. That can mean punishment. Tribulation. That can mean crushing. Anguish can mean torment. But note where this is. In this section, it says that it's going to be on every soul of man. Another new theory in the church is this thing called annihilation and this idea that when man dies, if he doesn't have Jesus Christ, he just ceases to exist. He just disappears. But the problem is we've been told that there's a judgment and wrath needs to be poured out upon men who reject the gospel, right? So if you just cease to exist, where's the wrath going? It's got to go somewhere according to scripture. Also, it says here, it's on every man's soul, the word for soul is psyche in the Greek. In the way it's defined by Strong's, it says the essence which differs from the body and is not dissolved by death. There is a reality that Jesus is eternal. God is eternal. That we live in a temporal space right now. We think all things will forever be temporal. That's not true. The Word of God says you need to decide today to put your trust in Jesus Christ for everlasting life or to reject Him, harden your heart, and be rejected to eternal suffering. That's a hard word, right? I hope we all understand because we all have people we love. We pray for every day. Can I tell you, if we think we love these people, do you know that God loves them so much more than we do? <laughs> you may be praying for your wayward son or daughter and think, when are they going to come here? I love them. Lord, don't you love them? The Lord loves them so much more than you do. <laughs> but the Lord, praise the Lord for his long suffering. <laughs> He wants to save people from this hell proven by His sending His Son, by putting on flesh, coming as Jesus Christ. But it says here, it's going to go to the Jew first and also to the Greek. There's no partiality in God. Remember, some might say, well, I'm a Jew though. I'm born good, right? I'm a child of Abraham. No, dude, you're going to have to stand before the Lord too as much as any Gentile. And Gentile, you might say, well, the Jews are more responsible because they had the law. They know God, right? They were raised under it. We're all going to have to stand. There's no partiality. The word in the Greek has to do with the Lord doesn't see the face that's attached to the person, in other words. It's kind of a cool idea. You can't bribe the Lord. 
we joked about politicians earlier. You can, you can bribe politicians, right? You can get your way in this world many ways. You can kiss up to people. You can manipulate people. God's not going to have that. doesn't matter who you are. You're going to have to stand before him. But I love what it says here in verse 10, I believe it is. It says, glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works good. <laughs> Again, not judged by our works, but this is talking about the works that are coming out of being filled with the Spirit. We're going to have peace. The word in the Greek is irene. It means a tranquility that is like eternal. And on this planet, it's used in the sense of having assurance in Jesus Christ. How can I have assurance that I am in the Lord? The Holy Spirit working in my life. Ephesians 1 tells us that. That's the guarantee. You may think you have assurance because your parents are Christians. <laughs> you may think you have assurance because you serve in ministry or you go to church. Please don't let that be your assurance. Many people can do those things and not be filled with the Spirit because they haven't put their trust fully in Jesus Christ. I've seen this. I've experienced this. Put your trust in the Lord. You're going to see the evidence coming out of your life. Amen? Amen? That gives us peace as we live in this world that is insane, by the way. <laughs> When we go, how are we certain that this is true? Remember the day when you became born again and everything changed. And before you even read the manual that is the Word of God, you started doing all the things and you read it, you're like, this makes so much sense now. I don't know if you guys did this, but for me, I came to the Lord, I was never a good reader. I was still reading like Sports Illustrated for kids when I was like 25, okay? A terrible reader. And I just liked the, the pictures and the comics and stuff. It was easier. But the reality was when I came to the Lord, I was like, I guess I got to read this thing now. And it was like kind of daunting because you're thinking like thy and thou, it's going to be really heavy. And someone said, no, get a good translation. Here's a, a, a modern translation of this word. And they gave me the New King James. And I remember just, I was feeling these weird things in the world where I'm coming out of playing with my band, playing at bars and clubs and going to the places that I knew I shouldn't be going, literally leaving the church service and then playing at 12 a.m. midnight on like Sunset Strip because we were in L.A., right? Leaving church and going to this just dark, nasty place and going, ooh, I don't think I'm supposed to be here anymore. <laughs> just work, it was clunky. I tell people, my walk with the Lord initially was so clunky. I knew I shouldn't be doing these things. Just being there didn't feel right. Something was different. And then I started reading the Word of God, and it was saying things like, what does light have to do with darkness? I'm like, this is starting to make some sense. <laughs> Why does this not feel right anymore? Because you're grieving the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you're now the temple. The Holy Spirit of the living God is in you. Where are you taking Him? <laughs> what are you doing? Man, go where He's leading you instead of you taking Him places you shouldn't be, amen? But the Lord will lead you to some place sometimes. You're like, okay, Lord... <laughs> What are we doing here? And the Lord can use that. But man, can I just tell you, be wise, be discerning. There should be a change that we can point back to and go, that is because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Look at the next section here. Look at 12 through 16. Paul explains, again, more of that measure involved in the judgment. It says, For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ 
according to my gospel. So in this section, Paul said in verse 12, he said, As many as have sinned without law will also perish without law, but as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. So what he's saying here, he says, sin. This is an important word to define. <laughs> what is sin? The word sin in the Greek is this word harmateno. And what it can mean, it comes from archery, they say. It means to miss the mark. Have you ever heard this? You have a bullseye on a target. You're aiming for that bullseye. You miss the bullseye by a fraction, a razor's hair fraction. You've missed, and they would say, you sinned. You're a sinner, right? If you also pulled that thing back and you missed it and you hit the mountain that's three miles away or something, they say, you're a sinner too, right? It doesn't matter if you missed by this much or you missed by that much. You're a sinner. You sinned. <laughs> I thought that was just such a cool word. There is a mark that is set by God and says, this is perfection. Here's the reality. None of us can hit the target. None of us can hit the bullseye. Actually, we're lucky if we hit the target, actually, right? The bullseye. Man, it's been said, it would be the idea of being out a mile or two miles out of the shore in a boat and saying, man, I'm going to try to swim for shore. And the first guy swims and he makes it like half a mile and he drowns. The second guy's like, well, I'm going to go. I'm going to try. And he goes like a full mile but doesn't reach shore and he drowns. They both drown. doesn't matter how close you got. <laughs> the reality is you couldn't do it. You were unable to do so. You need to trust in the provision of the Lord. It's the only thing. You will never be able to hit the mark. And what it says here is that those that have the law will be judged according to the law. Those who don't, do not have it will still be judged according to what they know. We talked about this in Revelation, or I'm sorry, Romans 1. Romans 1 said that man in himself, it's been revealed that there's a God. God has shown just the fact that there's a moral compass in man. The fact that nature exists should make you go, okay, there's a God. <laughs> Sadly, there's a whole movement of like trying to complain that they're, they're like, like atheism. It's the funniest thing to me. They're so angry that people would think that there's a God. If there's no God, what's your problem, right? Like, leave this alone, right? There's something in their heart that they hate it because they know there's a God. There's, well, how do you prove that you exist? We don't know. They're willing to say things that like, I don't know if you guys ever saw this movie. <laughs> it's a movie called Expelled. Did you guys ever see this? It was a documentary by, I think it was Ben Stein did it, right? And the conclusion, the one of the leading atheists concludes at the end, I'm not willing to admit that there's a God. What are you willing, are you willing to admit that an alien came with a laser gun and shot into a pool and that turned into people? He's like, yeah, I'll accept that. <laughs> what? This is so dumb. <laughs> we have secular history that proves our Savior lived. We have secular history that shows that man are sinners. <laughs> we have evidence in ourselves that we know what is wrong. We know what is right. We can't seem to do what is right because we missed the mark because we're sinners. It proves that there's something bigger, someone bigger who made us. <laughs> and well, what's the answer? For those, this is where it always comes up. People go, what about the guy in the jungle, James? What about him? Is God going to send him to hell? He's responsible for the revelation that God gave him. There's trees. Did you make those? No. You think there's a God? I guess there is. Cool. That's your revelation. That's what you get. But guess what? You're not a pygmy in the jungle. <laughs> You've heard the gospel this morning. <laughs> Stop worrying about the pygmy. Stop worrying about the speck. What's the plank in our eye this morning? What are you going to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Amen? Amen? And see, in this case, the question was, well, hey, we're Jews. We're going to be judged by the law. What about the Gentiles? He says, look, at whatever you've heard, you're responsible for making a decision in those things. And see, what happened often for the Jews in this case, they would always hear the law. They were raised with it, right? But did any of them really do it? I mean, the majority didn't live out the law, even though they studied it. And see, the church, God forbid, 
We become like this. James 1.22 says, But be doers of the Word of God, not hearers only deceiving yourselves. There is a scary deception that happens. Satan loves to use this deception. Hey, you're good. You go to church on Sunday. You're good. Don't worry about anything. Go keep doing everything you want to do, Monday through Friday. The rest of the day, Sunday even. Do whatever you want. But just check that box. You'll be fine. You say, yeah, because I heard the word. That guy on stage was talking for like an hour about it, right? I heard this. The reality is, though, are you doing it? Now, again, we're not talking about perfection, amen? That's where God's grace comes in. It's where His mercy comes in. We're not saved by our works. Can I tell you, though, that the blessing of being a believer is obedience. The Lord's laid out how to live, and we don't have to guesswork anymore. Follow His word, and you'll be blessed, right? I think it's Psalm 128. We were talking about it in our men's group yesterday. It says, obey the way of the Lord. Your marriage will be blessed. Your workplace will be blessed. Like You'll work well. You'll raise your kids right. <laughs> it may be hard, but it's the right thing to do. It's the right way. Try doing it away from the things of God. Do you remember how hard life was apart from God's word? Man, let's be doers of it, powered by his spirit. And it says in verse 16, it says, as all these people stand before the Lord, right? They're going to be judged for the revelation that they've received. It tells us in Luke 12, 48, those who have received much will be responsible for much. Those who have been committed less, well, they're responsible for that. But if you've received more, you're responsible to respond to it. There's kind of like that, that, that double-edged sword of coming to church and hearing the gospel preached, right? Every time you hear it, you're more responsible. I believe that's why James 3.1 says, let not many become teachers, because there's a stricter judgment for teachers. It terrifies me, because I've studied this section about 10 or 11 times this week. I'm now 10 or 11 times more responsible to hold it than everyone else here, I think. But in my opinion, you've all heard it. You're still responsible for it. There's a judgment that's coming based on how much you've handled this. As we come, we're blessed because the Lord speaks to us. Amen? But there's also this reality of the Lord goes, okay, now you're responsible. Walk it out. Go do it. Why? Because he wants to strike me with lightning? No, because it's for my blessing and for his glory. Why would I not walk this out? We know this as parents. We tell our kids to do things, not because we hate them. Because it will make their life better and it will be a blessing to them. Amen? The enemy wants you to think that God's just so mad at you, he wants to kill your life and just, and just bog you down with regulation. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. He fulfilled the law for us, amen? But we want to walk in the power of the Spirit, walk these things out. And it says in verse 16, again, God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. That's a heavy statement to think about. What's the bar for judgment? It's Jesus Christ. <laughs> Perfection. What you did with Jesus Christ, did you accept him as your perfection, as your righteousness? If you did, then praise the Lord, you're going to have that judgment before the judgment seat of Christ, 1 Corinthians 5.10. But if you've rejected the Lord Jesus, this is that section where we tell people, hey, I've said this to my kids, hey, God knows what's in your heart, right? Like we say that, we don't quite know sometimes where that came from, right? I don't know, it's like we just think he's like Santa, he knows everything, right? He knows who's naughty and nice and stuff. God knows every secret of the hearts of men. And he's going to judge people according to that. That's, that terrifies me even in Jesus Christ. <laughs> it terrifies me because I think about, again, it's 1 Corinthians 3. It says in 1 Corinthians 3, 13 through 15, speaks of the believer standing before that judgment seat of Christ. It says, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it was revealed, it will be revealed by fire. 
And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. <laughs> what this means is, again, we're out there doing works, not to be saved by them. It says we're going to make it in. We're going to be saved even through the fire, right? But everything that we've done for the Lord is going to get tested. See, we always think the secrets of men are like those, again, the evil politicians, really, the wicked people. They're going to, one day they have to stand before God and answer. We have to stand before the Lord and give an, a, a, a response to, actually, we don't have to give a response. He's just going to know it. <laughs> He's going to say, when you did this thing in my name, that actually wasn't in my name. That was for your own glory. That was just for your sake. That was out of your pride. That was out of your Now, again, it's not salvation binding this judgment. We've put our trust in Jesus Christ. Amen? But for those that haven't put their trust in Jesus Christ, they're even going to have to answer for the wicked things that they had in their hearts. There's no getting away from the judgment of God and the except when you put your trust in Jesus Christ. Amen? Heavy section, but the reality is, I love that Paul says at the end, he says, this is according to my gospel. Paul didn't write this gospel. He didn't copyright it. <laughs> this is God's gospel. He says, it's mine because I have it in me. I am preaching it. I have accepted it. It's important to remember that the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, it's not good news until you know the bad news, right? Bad news that even the wicked sins of your heart are going to be judged by a righteous, holy, perfect God. But the good news, Jesus came to die for sins. Amen? Jesus came, he died, and he rose again to prove that what he said was true. And he said in John 5, 24, anyone who, who has heard my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life, shall not come into judgment, and has passed from death into life. I hang on that verse. That is my verse that I hold on to to remind me that Jesus said, you hear my word and believe in him who sent me. That's where eternal life comes from. But aren't we responsible to walk that out now? We're responsible to stand before the Lord and someday he's going to test all the things that we did. But my salvation, my assurance is in the completed work of Jesus as yours should be. Amen? Look at this last section. It's actually a relatively quick section. I know it looks daunting, but we're going to move. Look at 17 through 20. Paul's going to change his focus from the general moralist to like the Jew that's that would say they believe and practice the things of the law. Look what it says in verse 17. Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest in the law or on the law and make your boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are excellent being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind a light to those who are in darkness an instructor of the foolish a teacher of babes having the form of knowledge and truth in the law pause it there because what Paul's doing is he's reviewing really some facts about the Jews. Remember, Paul is the Hebrew of Hebrews, he said, right? He knows the Jewish law. He knows all the things. He's been part of it. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, we believe. He's a guy that knows the lifestyle of a practicing Jew. He says, here's the situation. First of all, he says in verse 17, he says, you guys boast in your national heritage that you're a Jew. They rightly should. This is an important thing. This was given by God. Psalm 135, verse 4 says, For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel for his special treasure. He says, You guys boast in the fact that you have the knowledge of what is good because you've studied the word of God. You've been raised up in it. We know that according to Psalm 147, 19 through 20, 
It says, He declares, speaking of the Lord, His word to Jacob, His statutes and His judgments to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. What God is saying is that you are my people. I've called you to be my people. I've given you my word. And the Jews should say, yeah, that's, that's an awesome privilege, right? That's a great thing. The same privilege that we have is, to some degree as we come in and get the word of God. It's a privilege to receive it, right? But as we go out, we're now responsible for responding to it correctly. And see, it says in 19 through 20, they began to take confidence. This is where it kind of takes a change. So you guys say you're God's chosen people and you receive the law from God. Those are true things. But now you're kind of boasting and taking confidence that you're like the leader of all people, that you're the judge of all people. You're the teacher of all people. And see, we know that this is, according to Psalm 98, 2 and 3, that God, again, He called them. It says, The Lord has made known His salvation, His righteousness. He is revealed in the sight of the nations. He remembered His mercy and His faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. What that means is God said, I will covenant with you, Israel. As you obey my word, as you trust in me, you'll be a light to every other nation. That this is what you're supposed to do and they will want in as you do these things. And I tell you the problem with this. Many did not do the things they were supposed to do. <laughs> we're studying the book of Ezra, the men's group right now. They're coming back into, into the land after being in captivity for 70 years because they continually broke the law of God. The reality is they said, oh, we're chosen people of God. Because we are Jews, that is where our salvation comes from. Because he gave us the law, that is why we are saved. Incorrect. You must choose not by your heritage, but by your heart put your faith in the Lord. You must choose to hear the word and respond to it, to do it. Look what he's going to tell them. Look at 21 through 24. Paul says, You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? He drives it home, verse 24, he quotes their own scripture to them here. In 24, he's going to quote Isaiah 52, 5. He says, for the name of God is blasphemed. He says, among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. He says, you guys had this great privilege of being the people titled to be God's chosen people. You've been given the law. You've been called to be a light to the world. The problem is, you're teaching everyone, but you're not doing it. <laughs> Hypocrisy. We look at it and we go, yeah, man, those Jews, what a bunch of hypocrites, right? I hope that we're remembering the plank in our own eye. <laughs> this is the church. This is us. So often. I hope it's not the rule. I hope it's the exception, right? But isn't this the reality? I read this and I just get convicted. Because sure, I may say, hey, look it, I'm not committing adultery. I'm not doing these things. But the same law that I'm saying I'm not doing those things, there's other things that I'm failing in. And Paul already told us, you're inexcusable. There's no excuse. You're guilty. What do we do? Do we give up or do we repent and turn back to the Lord? I think about Peter. Think about Judas. Didn't they both kind of commit a very similar sin right before the cross? You had Judas who betrayed Jesus, gave him over to the enemy. You had Peter, though, remember? He denied knowing Jesus three times. He said, I'll never deny you, right, in his pride. He denied him three times, right? Fulfilled the word of God. 
One man, Judas, he believed there is no overcoming this sin that I have committed. I'm going to go hang and kill myself. And you have Peter, who goes away mournful and sorrowful. But when he's on the beach, Jesus comes to him and he asks him, right? He says, do you love me? He's like, I love you. No, 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 do you love me? I love you, man. You know, this whole thing's going back and forth. He's, feed my sheep, right? Feed my flock, feed my sheep. He's telling him, I am reconciling you right now on this beach, Peter, because you didn't go and destroy yourself over your sin. You're here and we're standing before each other and I am willing to reconcile and restore you, amen? Two different responses to very similar sins. Many times we say, well, man, if I can't do this, I'm a hypocrite, it turns out. I guess I'll just give up. I have news for you. The Holy Spirit doesn't want to leave you a hypocrite, amen? It takes work like anything else. Every day, wake up and be conscious of the things that you've been hypocritical in and stop doing those things. But know that there's still grace there, amen? Continue to move. I hope that we can look back on our walk with the Lord and go, man, these things I was doing back here, those things have changed. But yet there's still things here that I wish the Lord would just refine me in, right? Being unmerciful, being judgy, just wanting to pour out wrath on everyone, but begging for grace from God. It doesn't work like this, man. Pour that grace out, amen? What you measure with, it will be measured back to you, Jesus said in Matthew 7 too. Do you want to be measured back mercy or judgment? I want to be measured back grace and mercy, amen? Now, it's funny, when someone wrongs me, it's like, Lord, judge them right now, right? Me? I'm like, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. I know your grace is overflowing today, right? Like, we're so hypocritical. Man, he says, don't do that. You're telling everyone one thing. You're doing something different. He says, and because of that, not only are you dishonoring God, you're making the Gentiles blaspheme his name. How so? They were supposed to be the chosen people of God, a light, as Paul said, right? If everyone looks in, I think about the church. We say we belong to Jesus. We're new creations. We look like everyone else, though. We keep doing all the same things we always did in the world. We're totally carnal. What happens is the world looks at it and goes, well, if his own people don't obey his word, why should I have to obey his word? I don't need any of that. But when we obey it, again, what comes? Blessing. I'm not talking prosperity gospel. I'm not talking about mansions. I'm just talking about general blessing of walking in obedience to the Lord's word. Amen? When we do that, the world says that's what we are made to do. It makes sense. It is a light. We are to be salt and light. We are to be light to the world that they would see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Matthew 5, 16. Look at how he ends this section. Look at 25 through the end. It says, For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, for, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. We look at this section, we go, Paul, what are you talking about, circumcision? That means nothing to us outside of, you know, being Jews, right? It's a right that said, I am belonging to the God of Israel. I think about the closest thing that we may practice as the church is kind of like water baptism. We go and we baptize people and they're making a public profession 
of that inward reality. Amen? We understand that that water baptism does not grant salvation, right? What that is, it's almost like a label of sorts. See, I think about someone, I forget who it was, probably David Guzik. I listen to him all the time. I'm going to give him credit, okay? Shout out to David Guzik, great pastor, great teacher. Check him out. He said that if you had a can of peas and it had a label on it that said peaches, <laughs> you'd be like, okay, I bought peaches, right? I'm looking at it. The label says peaches. You go to start your recipe, you open up that can, and inside there's peas in there. That's going to destroy, it's potentially dangerous to like someone that's allergic to peas. Oh, it said peaches, though. The label said that, right? <laughs> The outside label is only helpful if that's actually what's on the inside, amen? <laughs> actually, if it's not matching what's on the inside, it's problematic in many ways. And this is hypocrisy. This is the idea of trusting in outward things and saying, this is my righteousness. What the Jews would do is say, because we belong to Abraham, because we have been circumcised as, as Genesis 15 was commanded, I'm sorry, Genesis 17 was commanded to Abraham, they say, we belong to God because we do this outward thing. What Paul says is like, man, the outward thing does nothing if you're not living it out in your heart. <laughs> Jesus told the religious leaders, you guys are so fascinated with like washing the outside of the bowl, but the inside's filthy. You're like a tomb full of dead bones that's whitewashed on the outside. Same idea here. He says, and as a matter of fact, this would be a shocking statement. Those who are uncircumcised, <laughs> not Jews, but they live according to what's been revealed to them, they're not only like the circumcised and you're like a Gentile, they're going to judge you. <laughs> that would be such a radical statement to the Jew who believed Gentiles were just made to stoke the flames of fire or the flames of hell, right? The reality here is that he says, no. What matters is that people respond to the light and revelation that's been given to them. Amen? And see, what he says is, it's not about being a Jew or being obedient on the outside. <laughs> You can be obedient on the outside and still be a mess inside. This is something that can trap us as well. We say, oh, I'm a good guy. I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to do. But do you know the Lord? Have you put your trust in Him? Are you trusting in your works or are you trusting in His completed work? See, right here, these people would point at their circumcision. and say, no, 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 no. They point at their heritage of being a Jew. He says, no, that's not it. What you need to do is be circumcised in your heart, in the Spirit. Deuteronomy 30, verse 4, I believe it is. God said, it said that the Lord would circumcise the hearts of the people and the hearts of their descendants, that they would love the Lord their God with all their heart and soul, that they might live. Who does the circumcision? The Lord. Where is it done? In the heart. There's an outward expression that says, I've experienced this inward thing, and that's all that does. But if you think the outward thing is what matters, it does not. Apart from what's happened inward. But can I tell you the most blessed thing we can do? The outward actually reflects the inward because the inward's been changed by Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? This morning, however you came in here, whatever you're trusting in, I pray that you'd know. We got a whole other chapter next week of Paul just saying, nope, that's not going to work either. <laughs> whatever you're trying to bring in and trust in, it's not good enough. Only thing you can trust in is the completed work of Jesus Christ who came to die for the sins of the world to take away the sins of the world according to John 1.29. He came, he lived, he died, he rose again, he lives a day. A judgment is coming. But for those of us who trust in him, we have passed from death into life. Amen? Let's pray.